Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. God is so good. He's so good to me. And that's why I love Jesus. Welcome to the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. Those of you who are watching online, welcome and happy Sabbath. I'm Mari Serban, the pastor of the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. On behalf of God Almighty, I welcome you to this worship service here in Middletown, Kentucky. And welcome back to Upper Room Lessons, a series of sermons that will challenge, and will change your life. I can guarantee because I saw it working in my life. I've been so fascinated with the narrative. I read and listened to the biblical record of John 13 to 17 many, many times and in many versions for literally for hours as I drive, if I sit, I, I did this, and every time something new comes up and says, preach me, preach me, preach me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, I would like to do that. So I can't wait to share what I've been learning or what the Lord impressed me. But now, two weeks ago and today, and maybe for other weeks to come, we stopped to reflect and to learn from a couple of verses recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And I entitled my sermon two weeks ago, The Eleventh Commandment. I got that inspiration, that title from a book written by Pastor Dwight Nelson. It's out of print. It's an old book called the, the, the Eleventh Commandment. And I respect, I worked with Pastor Dwight Nelson when I was at the seminary, and I respect and admire his teachings. Open your Bibles with me to John 13, John 13, verses 34 and 35. Is Jesus speaking. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. We've all heard these words for as long as we can remember ourselves being Christians, right? A new command I give to you, love one another, Jesus says. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by what? By loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love, if you love one another. Could it be, could it be 
that Jesus is inviting us to have a new perspective on an old commandment. Love one another. It's so important. It is so essential. It is the identifying mark, the identifying sign of all who claim to be followers of Jesus. By this, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Lord Jesus, gracious Father, we come to you and we implore that the Holy Spirit will take over this. We pray that we will receive this word as it comes from you. It is challenging and it has the ability to change our lives. So we pray, Lord, that we open hearts. We come to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book um, on prayer, More and Still More, A Passion for All God Offers, the author tells of a college student who wrote this letter to her parents at home. Listen to it. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dorm was set on fire by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say my eyesight should return sooner or later. The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, he kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm was rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised when I tell you that we're going to be married. In fact, since you've always wanted a grandchild, you'll be glad to know that you will be the grandparents next month. But, at the bottom of the letter, P.S., postscriptum. Please disregard the above practice of English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry. And I just wanted to be sure you receive this news in the proper perspective. Proper perspective. Perspective is everything, isn't it? Perspective, perspective makes all the difference in the world. How you look at something makes all the difference. I've got a prop here that presents the topic of my sermon today. And I brought it with me because I think it's important for you to practice perspective. See? You have one perspective, right? What's the topic of my sermon today? You probably don't know it. But if I turn it a bit, those right here, they can see what is here. Love. But you know, you, you've been looking at love for a long time. We've all heard about Jesus saying, you know, you got to love each other. 
The question today is, have we looked from the right perspective? And when we look from the right perspective, there you go. Love is as clear as it can be. Love is different now, right, than this. See, this is much smaller, narrow perspective. When you look from the right perspective, perspective changes everything. I hope all can see now. You don't have the right perspective there. I can see it. I don't know. Our congregation is, sits in, we have a hexagonal sanctuary, which makes it hard to have the right perspective. I understand that. So, when you look at love from the right perspective, love is clearly sin. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment I give you. Could it be that Jesus is inviting us to have a new perspective on an old commandment? About four weeks ago, a week before our communion service, you can look back on our YouTube channel, and you can find the sermons there. Four weeks ago, we stepped with his disciples into the upper room, and we began to learn directly from Jesus. And first, he taught his disciples the lesson of humility. He gave them an example they would never forget, and that is what Jesus is expecting from all of us, his disciples in 2021. He wants us to follow in his footsteps and to love those around us as he loved his disciples. When someone does not understand and refuses to live the Christian life, he calls us to love them. He calls us to serve them. This is the first lesson we learn from Jesus in the upper room. When another disciple does not walk the Christian walk, he calls us to love and to serve them. It's right there in John 13, in the first few verses. God is love. The entire narrative of John 13 to 17 begins with the love of Jesus for his disciples. John 13 verse 1, the very first verse, sets the tone. For this story. Now before the feast of the Passovers. When Jesus knew that his hour had come. That he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own. Who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The entire story is introduced with love. The love of Jesus for his disciples. For his own people. And he says, I give you a new commandment that you love 
one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What is on the heart of Jesus in the upper room? I give you a new commandment that you love one another. My friends, in the heart of Jesus, which is actually the heart of God, there is always love. And we sang about love. We had two or three songs of the set today about love. Because God is love. Love is clearly on the mind of Jesus on the eve of his death. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. And you may think, that's not new at all. We all heard this before, love one another. It's common. We heard it. Every church and preacher talks about it. Yes, you're right. But could it be you looked at love from a very narrow, see, from a very narrow perspective? Can you open your heart today to look at love from a different angle, from a different perspective? I've been taking this pastoral pastoral care training and chaplaincy for the last several months. And once a week, once a week, we're doing an on-call shift, which opens the possibility of being called to serve in any situation in any section of the hospitals. One of the places I have to go often is the emergency room, the ER. And I'd like to share with you one of the great truths about the emergency rooms and hospitals that I learned. I'm not medical, but I have learned this, this truth because my opportunity to be in ER was, was, was many times lately. The first truth, emergency rooms and hospitals are messy places. Do you know why? Because people come to ER in the middle of a crisis. Step into an ER and you might experience all kinds of smells and odors from antibacterial antiseptics to a lot of other smells I'm embarrassed to name. A few minutes before, those beds were wrapped with super clean and sterile sheets surrounded by sparkling clean and sterile walls and floors. But in a few minutes, that sterile white becomes ugly and dirty and splattered and contaminated. But that's okay, because everybody who works in the hospitals knows that this is why we exist. This is why we're here, to get dirtied and blooded and stained and exposed while we work as a team to save another life. That's right. The truth of the ER and hospitals, they're messy places, and if I read my Bible right. The church of Christ is to be the same. A stained and at times smelly saving place for people in the midst of crisis. Who come just as they are. 
in desperate hope of being saved and healed before it is too late. If I read my Bible right, Jesus called his church to become a hospital for sinners. This is how Jesus defines his mission on earth. And through that statement, he defines the mission of his church on earth. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. So you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. The question is, who needs a doctor? And of course, because Luke is the evangelist who is actually a doctor, we're going to look at Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. But in that chapter, before verse 31, Dr. Luke presents the powerful testimony of healing. Jesus heals a leper, and Jesus heals a paralytic. And then Jesus is invited to a party. A party hosted by a tax collector. And in Jesus' time, and in his place in Palestine, for the Jews, a tax collector was equated with a very bad sinner. A tax collector was, was, was placed on the same level with prostitutes. And Jesus is invited to this tax collector's house, and guess what? Jesus goes to the party. And not only he goes to the party, but he takes his disciples with him too. And Luke tells us that Jesus was eating and drinking with these people at his party. And I can imagine the scribes and Pharisees who could not even come inside, of course. They come to an open window and distract one of the disciples and says, What's the problem with you guys? Don't you realize you're sitting in there eating and drinking with sinners? Are you crazy? And Jesus, who is in a conversation across the room with somebody else, but at the same time with his ears and eyes tuned to monitor and protect his little children, his disciples, when he hears what the accusation is, he stops whatever he was doing and answers this Pharisee. Verse 31, Luke 5, 31. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who needs a doctor? In answering this question, we find the mission of Jesus on earth. He came to earth for a single reason, to spend his days and nights with sinners. The ER physician of the universe didn't come to our planet to socialize with the healthy. He came to heal the sick. If that's Jesus' mission, then isn't that logical to believe that any church that follows Jesus will do the same? Aren't we to 
be a hospital for sinners? And you may, you may, you may ask, what kind of sinners? Well, I don't see any limitations in Jesus's in Jesus's answer that night. Do you? Jesus says, "I have come to call all sinners to repentance." So he must mean all kinds of sinners. You know all the types: ethical sinners and unethical sinners, heterosexual sinners and homosexual sinners, alcoholic sinners and non-alcoholic sinners. Democratic sinners and Republican sinners and independents too. Incarcerated sinners and respectable sinners. White sinners and black sinners and brown sinners and yellow sinners. Rich sinners and poor sinners. Male sinners and female sinners. Christian sinners and non-Christian sinners. Adventist sinners and non-Adventist sinners. You know all the sinners. Apparently, according to Jesus, there is no limitation on the kinds of sinners the church is to be an emergency room for or a hospital. Because Jesus said, I have come to call all sinners. My friends, that's how Jesus was. He never met a sinner he didn't like or he didn't love. On another occasion, on another occasion, Luke reports later, the same group of people, scribes and Pharisees, accused Jesus, this fellow, referring to Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. My fellow brothers and sisters, the church is an emergency room and a hospital for sinners. Now I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of an ER that requires its patients to get cleaned up before they show up? Can you imagine that? Excuse me, ambulance driver. I know you're rushing to the hospital because I'm in a bad shape, but I can't go there looking that way. So would you mind pulling over while I put my makeup? Thank you. Well, you're supposed to show up looking and feeling bad or you wouldn't belong in the hospital. Excuse me, sir. I need to get back in the house and change my pajamas and blow dry my hair. Then we can rush to ER and take care of my heart attack. You may say, are you crazy? What are you talking about? There is not a hospital or ER in the entire world that requires you to clean up yourself and heal yourself before they'll admit you. You're supposed to come just as you are. ERs and hospitals and churches are supposed to be messy places because people keep showing up in the middle of a life-threatening crisis. That's the whole point. I know it's hard for some of us. Praise the Lord for giving me the chance to go through this chaplaincy training. I learned how to be in the crisis with people and not be intimidated by it. That's how Jesus was. 
He came to be with us in the crisis. Jesus came to be with the three young Hebrews in the crisis. Love them in the crisis. And I know probably you won't believe this, but there are some people inside the hospital we call church who really do believe that people who aren't clean and healthy and sterile like they are don't belong in that hospital called church. Some people actually believe that Christ intended for the church to be a museum for the saints rather than a hospital for sinners. Oh, come on, Pastor Marius. We all know the remnant church is to preserve the truth. Don't water it down with infected, sinner-friendly users. Really. Don't you know, Pastor, that the remnant are to be the called-out ones. We're called to preserve the great truths of God in a sterile, separated, germ-free environment. After all, what do Revelation 12 and Revelation 14 teaches us? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. This is what they teach. Revelation 12 verse 17 reads, And the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of the remnant, King James calls it, of her offspring, of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And Revelation 14, 12 reads similarly. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. These are, my friends, the two distinctive and distinguished characteristics of the end time God's people. Number one, they keep the commandments of Jesus. Uh, commandments of God. And number two, they have the testimony and hold on to the faith of Jesus. Speaking of God's commandments, which one of them is the greatest? Which one of them is the greatest? The eleventh one, right? The eleventh commandment. Listen to the testimony of Jesus himself. Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. Jesus is cornered by a lawyer. And Matthew reports this incident. Matthew 22, verse 35. A lawyer asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, he said, which commandment in the law is the greatest? So let's find out which commandment is the greatest. And Jesus said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There it is, the testimony of Jesus himself. Any end-time community that consider its mission to be keeping the commandments of God will be known as a community that loves God supremely 
and love its neighbor impartially. What is the testimony of Jesus? Well, we read it many times so far in this series. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The testimony of Jesus. Any end-time community that consider its mission to be the possession of the testimony of Jesus will be known as a community that loves one another as Christ loved them. See, my friends, God's end-time church will be a radical demonstration of love for all humanity, all sinners, and all saints alike. Jesus didn't speak the healing word to lepers from a distance of 30 yards. No, he touched them. This is the church God called us to be. We ought to touch the sinner with his love, get messy, and save their lives. I have come to call sinners to repentance. This is our healing mission too. Pastor Marius, are you saying that we got to, we got to become soft on sin? No, not at all. But we should become big on sinners like Jesus. See, there is a difference between condemning and condoning. Some people think that the opposite of condemning is condoning. And to avoid condemning, they wrongly conclude that they must affirm the sinner's lifestyle. My friends, Jesus did not condemn, but neither did he condone the woman to the woman at the well. <coughs> he said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're sleeping with now isn't your own. And to the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was never soft on sin, but he was always big on sinners. The church must be the same. Of course, it's messy being a hospital for sinners, but where else? Where else this messed up world supposed to turn these days? If it can turn to the church, the people of God. I want to challenge you. The next time someone messes with your sanity and makes you feel angry, think about this new perspective on love you learned today. Love is bigger and greater when you look at it from the right perspective. And there is even more to this perspective when you consider who you are and who the source of love is. Would you like to see that perspective between you and your creator? I want to put it on the screen. I picked it up 
from National Geographic. Someone has sent it to me. Take a look at how you are in comparison with your creator. Well, so this morning, you got a perspective on love for my sermon, and I think you got the perspective on your size from this video. When someone messy messes you up, remember your size and remember this new perspective of love you learned today. I'm not sure if there is a medicine that is given to all patients coming to ER regardless of what their situation is. I'm not a medical professional, as I said. I don't know if there is such a thing. But I know that no matter what everyone comes through those doors, there is one for everyone. And that is love. No matter what our patients come here for, we have a medicine that kicks off the healing process. That's love. How do you have it? How do you get it to have it ready for the patients? How do you get this love? Because I can preach until I get blue in the face. And if we just talk about it, how can we do it? Well, it is promised to you and me. It is guaranteed, in fact. Apostle Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. It is guaranteed to you and me when you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first quality of the Spirit. You know Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love. It is love. I'm not sure what Bible translation we looked at, Pam and I, a few days ago. And it went like this about the fruit of the Spirit. It said, for the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. When somebody is not acting according to what you would think they should act, because they're in a crisis, remember the new perspective of love you received today. 
And remember, remember your world. We, I, and you are not God. It is only God who judges. God who made all those planets and all those stars. We're smaller than a grain of sand when we compare ourselves with the universe. Yet God of the universe emptied heaven. He gave everything he's got so that you and I can be fully loved and accepted again. So when somebody is messing with your sanity, remember your size and remember to ask for the Spirit to fill you daily so that you and I can be a hospital for sinners and treat each other with love. Amen.